This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. everyone welcome to terror talk with shannon and kathy hello i'm so relieved i was having an issue with my headphones where we were just recorded an episode where i literally couldn't hear myself and it's all fixed i'm so happy for I'm you so happy it's i'm fixed. so happy for me too because now you can stop complaining about it <laughs> we're gonna talk about the netflix documentary a three episode documentary called killer sally 2022 these are interviews with friends family and sally mcneil herself that chart a bodybuilding couple's rocky marriage and its shocking end in a Valentine's Day murder. This show has a lot going on in it. For example, if you don't know this story, what you will learn about and witness in this are representations of bodybuilding culture in the 80s, I guess, 70s and 80s, and domestic abuse, uh, marital rape, steroid culture which is was a huge thing mm -hmm. uh even up until the the 2000s honestly from from what i knew because i was a massage therapist then and i worked on a lot of people that were taking steroids and it had some interesting effects on their body but anyway abuse of children uh, affairs uh, aggressive behavior between man and by both men and women and then the the self-defense defense in 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 the trial so what ended up happening is is sally killed her husband yes she and did and then went to jail for 25 years this this documentary was really loaded for me shannon and i talked a little yeah. bit about this before we started recording just because these are um oftentimes i'm on cases that are that resemble these you know domestic violence is a is a is really a, a hot topic right now for no other reason than we're starting to talk more openly about it in the media whether that's emotional abuse narcissistic abuse physical abuse homicide um you know it's just something we're talking about more and i had a lot of uh feelings watching this because first you know we want to recognize two things about sally is yes she had an abusive past and due to that abusive past, she had a history of being impulsive. She had a history of getting in trouble in the military because of, you know, talking back and lashing out. And she had ro road, or they would call her, you know, having roid rage because of, oh, sorry, that was Ray. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ray was the one on steroids. But th that she was rageful at times that led to impulse control problems. But it also should be clearly stated that she she wasn't someone who carried weapons and was physically violent towards people. What happened in her marriage was a buildup of a very toxic environment where she unfortunately didn't have the appropriate coping skills to deal with someone who was abusing her. Yeah, she was raised in an abusive home and then was in an abusive relationship 
even prior to that's right like this is long history of yeah yeah and so you know the prosecutor was really dead set on pinning her as guilty because of this name killer sally that was like his smoking gun that they prosecutors like to win they do like to win (laughs) um but he he was really happy when he found that piece of information oh yes but really i think where i where i get stuck is is the idea of these gender ideas right so so sally was a bodybuilder and she wasn't traditionally feminine and she wasn't passive and she wasn't delicate she had a rough life she learned from very early on that she had to fight for her life in her family of origin, which tends to lead people into relationships with abusers. So I'm just explaining, I'm not saying that this is an excuse, but I'm explaining Mm -hmm. how she got to this point. Right. And so no one taught her how to process her feelings or get out of situations like this. There was a paired association between violence and love. And she was, obsessively in love with Ray. Ray was also very abusive. He was also much larger. Mm -hmm. So when we look at abuse, we have to look at what levels of subjugation are there. And really Ray did hold the power in this relationship, both physically. And, you know, if you look at any sort of power and control wheel, Ray had the opportunity to hurt her far easier than she did for him to towards him. Mm-hmm. Some buzzwords came up in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, which think think we hear things like mutual combat and reactive abuse. And I just want to make a distinction here. Mutual combat means that both people are equally responsible and of equal strength to really be able to have combat with one another, that there isn't a dominant aggressor. There, there lacks a dominant aggressor. And 99% of the time, that is not the case. 99% of the time, there is a dominant aggressor. Reactive abuse is someone who reacts abusively towards the person who is abusing them. So by default, it's looked at as abuse, which is very different from mutual combat. So can I just interject? Yeah. I know that two things come up for me. One is that this comes up a lot with police mm-hmm. where women go to jail for having hit their husbands that yeah. were beating them up on a regular basis. Right. And then the woman will go to jail in that moment on yes. that day when the cops arrive, that happens. The other thing that comes up for me is that mutual combat phrase gets used a lot when working with youth. I work with, I have and work with a lot of youth in the, in the system, in the CPS system. And that comes up a lot when we're doing assessments because parents will come in in an assessment or in the course of family reunification or family therapy, they'll talk about like, well, this particular day was an instance of mutual combat because I tried to take her phone away by literally trying to physically grab the phone away. And then she punched me in the face and then I pushed her away and she ended up hitting the wall. And so then CPS gets called and these kinds of things happen. Now, from what you're talking about, I don't know if this applies to Mm -hmm. youth or not, but it's like in those sort of situations, 
the adult would always be, well, it depends, right? Because these are 16, 17 year old kids, maybe who can be the dominant aggressor bigger than their parent, you know, sometimes, or Mm -hmm. the parent is older or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there is really a determination that has to happen around, is this child abuse or not? So that comes, that phrase comes up a lot in those circumstances too. I just wanted to throw that in because there is child abuse in this. Absolutely. And, And that's an important point because some people will often wonder, you know, if a child is 16 or 17 years old and they're they've matured and they're tall and they're big and even though they're not seen as an adult by like legal standards in our country if they are able to dominate their 75 year old grandmother yeah they're abusing her yeah she doesn't get to be the matriarch in that situation no so there are exceptions to that and that's why i say the level of subjugation is really important like yeah. who's being subjugated more because can sally be an abuser in other situations yes absolutely, absolutely. and she may have been yeah. but looking specifically at this relationship and knowing what we know about ray and also thinking about some of the coercive control and the ways that he was manipulating her, I think contributed to her becoming obsessed and traumatically bonded to him, which fed the fire, fueled the fire. Sure. And so this prosecutor says that I was, Oh God, this prosecutor (laughs) says she has no remorse. She doesn't look like a battered woman Mm. because I guess a battered woman has to be five feet, 90 pounds, emaciated, eyes sunken in. Well, and they have to be emotional. They have to be emotional. So here's the difference, right? Is that she is a longstanding trauma victim. That's right. She has a flat affect. She does not tell her story in an emotional way, which is what we see with trauma victims. She is a badass in her life. Yes, Like she has put on a fake smile at competitions but in her day-to-day she does have a flat affect and she doesn't let on weakness to you because that's the way she's that's been her trained. survival too and that makes her look like a badass and so they're saying like they're looking at her like oh no you're not one, weak enough this woman is a badass she's not gonna yeah she would never she would never put up with all this shit she's saying that that's happened. right look like, at she wrestled men for money yeah, right i mean and she's a sex worker because of course that's right oh they, she yes. wasn't having sex with them from her report but that kind that is a sexual get off for the men and so she would have yes. been deemed a sex worker so that's a whole other thing that's that right. they marginalize her for oh my god and then the idea that she has no remorse or she lacks empathy is false when you watch the videos of her with her children in the questioning room um she clearly clearly is, loves she, them she clearly loves them so deeply and so much remorse my god over that oh over leaving my them. god and the way that she tried to stay strong for them and and but but also owned what she did yes 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 she was reflective she was responsible. She was accountable. If you are a psychopathic deviant, that would not have come out of her mouth. Then they make a comment about her laying down on the floor. Yeah, I remember that. And Interrogation going to sleep. can be 18 to 24 hours long. Yeah, and so then they blame her for laying down on the floor and going to sleep at one point because... She's I'm emotionally sh- exhausted. <sighs> I think it's so complicated. It's very complicated. So for me, I look at this and I go, did they have a healthy relationship? No. Did, was there abuse 
technically on both ends. Sure. Mm -hmm. Was she the dominant aggressor? No. Was it mutual combat? No. When they say, okay, well, she wasn't under any imminent threat and it was premeditated. There was no reason she had to go in and get that second shot. Give that second shot to him. Here's my response to that. He was a constant fucking threat. Mm -hmm. And this by no means, uh, I'm not trying to slam men in this comment, but there's no possible way A man can understand that when you are living underneath that constant physical and mental abuse, that person is an ongoing constant threat. And something happened that day because he messed with her. Mm -hmm. She'd had enough. She had lost it. But not because there she her safety was continuously in jeopardy. Yeah. Yep. And I have no doubt that in that moment when she went to get the second shot, which becomes a whole, you know, pivotal thing in the trial or whatever, that was what they hung their hats on is that she went and got the second shot and that's what killed him. And so then it was murder. I have no doubt that she felt he would be, that he was superhuman and would simply get up and continue oh my and, God. and that he would survive and he would just continue to abuse her. And I realize it's eminent danger. That's the, the way we're supposed to look at it as far as like, were you in eminent danger? He was already on the ground bleeding or whatever, but I, I truly believe, and obviously I don't know the, all the facts of the case, but in, in, in general, in these kinds of cases, I think a lot of the time I do tend to believe that, in that moment, she believed that he was superhuman and could get up off the floor and kill her. Oh, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And, and he would have if he could have physically. I think that would have been the moment where if he could have physically gotten up or reached for something, that he would have killed her. He would have killed her. Yeah, I I, I think so too. And he, she had seen him already. So uh, what he was capable of doing and also, you know, she's in a state of shock. She's panicking. Yeah, I do think it's it's all to say that she there was no imminent threat i would say is false too even if the threat was just psychologically mm-hmm. i really liked how they followed up with the kids later mm-hmm. and their story of yeah of, they were interviewed all throughout yeah that was a nice like human piece of it oh where, my gosh i loved her kids yeah when she gets to be see them and they're older and and they really go through a lot you know what you find out is that they they also had a really difficult trajectory individually as adults because of what they witnessed yeah. between Sally and Ray, you know, and, and I imagine that Sally has a lot of regret over that as well because her, her, she didn't get to witness it and she wasn't there to support them while they yeah. went through that. And so I, many missed know, years. And I know that both her kids are resentful on some level for, for that. They kind of say that in the, in it, you know, they want to move on and they want to have a reparative relationship and I hope they're all doing well, but you know, they talk really openly about how it was awful and you know, how their mom was aggressive and their dad was aggressive and you know, all of this. Mm -hmm. So overall, I actually really enjoyed this documentary. I didn't think I was going to, when I started it, I was like, what is this going to be? Is this going to be super cheesy? But for me, I think because it really highlighted uh, the injustice of the judicial system. Although it leaves you to decide, I the way that I saw it was it, just watching the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is this is what I see all the time. It's yeah. this reframing. It's the pathologizing the victim, and because this man is dead, we can now feel sorry for him. 
because he no longer has a voice, but her story brought a voice to it. And to me, it was very clear that he was uh, a misogynist. He was violent. He was cheating on her. He was messing with her. He had threatened her before. I think he had been violent with the kids, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, very. this guy was far from innocent. No, and I and I also I do just want to throw out there that I did a little bit of reading after after I had watched it and I know there were some things that they left out about Sally's. You know, the documentary does air on the side of being on Sally's side. Mm-hmm. They do they talk about how she is violent, but they don't go into some nitty gritties, which I which I think are valid to mention. And I don't think we're saying that she wasn't a violent person no, she, to begin with. She was. Yeah. So she was, you know, she was from what I read, she, there were, you know, lots of behavioral issues when she served in the military and she was actually demoted and all of this. But what they don't say is that she was demoted from her role as sergeant because of poor a, you know, a behavioral record from anger issues to violently lashing out at others, all those kinds of things. She also had attacked, you know, Ray was a serial cheater as well. And so, you know, she had attacked someone that Ray had been uh, hypothetically, whatever, sleeping with and, and, you know, and beat her up, mm-hmm. beat up this girl, you know, pinned her to the ground and beat her up. I mean, Sally was a formidable human. She could hurt mm-hmm. you if if she wanted to. And she also drew a gun on Ray at another period of time, in another period of time while they were fighting. And the police ended up coming and they ended up pepper spraying Sally. She also had another encounter with the police when like a bar owner had asked her to stop dancing on the tables and Sally kicked him in the face and threatened to kill the police officers who showed up. So I'm not entirely convinced she wasn't on steroids, honestly. Uh, They don't talk talk about that in the show, but there she had a violent history. So I understand how she's going to get to court out and after killing Ray and it it doesn't look good. Like I like, like learning more about this case. I absolutely understand why she got convicted. Mm -hmm. I agree with the, all the, you know, the things we're laying out of what Kathy is saying. I agree with all of that. And I, I, I do still feel like it was a defensive mechanism that she was in that day. Right. She was an impulsive she was impulsive. She had behavioral issues her whole life. Like she, and she doesn't say like, Oh, I'm innocent or, you know, I'm a flower, no. sunflower. She doesn't say any of that. But I also think that one of the things that her friends and different people in this documentary do mention lightly at one point, they sort of say like, I thought she was going to get convicted, but I didn't expect them to throw the book at her. No. Meaning that everybody knew she was like, even Sally knew like, I'm going to go to prison and, and all of that. 19 years. But yeah. And then served 25. Yeah. So there's some interesting something there. Because I, you know, listen, half the time, more than half the time in DV cases, and I know this resulted in a homicide. These sentences are jokes. Yep. They're jokes and, and, mm-hmm. um, or they get off, right? And if it was the other way around gender wise. Oh, what? 150%. Who knows? You know, you know, this is uh these are a dime a dozen if it's the male perpetrator model. Yeah. And these guys don't get that much time. Rapists don't get that much time. No, no, they don't. So 25 years for something that you could at least argue was partially self-defense. It's quarter of a life. Yeah. And you know, you can come at us for being feminists or whatever, but it's really in the data. It's, it's very much in the data that the justice system is skewed against this. The laws for women 
reacting poorly, let's say, and violently and murderously in relationships, that it's just that the sentences are so unequal. It's like we yep. can't make equal money, but we can give you more time in prison for yeah. what you do. That's like it's right. it really just is dissonant. It's 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 data. It's not it's not about being feminist. It's just that the justice system is skewed. That's right. You were going to say something about like how I think we were going to talk a little bit about how it's not easy to leave that kind of dynamic and sort of the vibe yeah. there. Relationships that involve abuse of any kind, there's a trauma bond that's formed and it's not just an emotional bond. It's actually a chemical bond mm -hmm. that forms in the brain. And usually it's, it can, it can be developed one of two ways. It can be de developed over time through someone who's skillfully abusive because not everyone who ends up in an abusive relationship is a codependent person. Mm -hmm. Or it can be from someone who has a codependent personality type and over childhood and over the lifetime, they, their brains developed what we call a paired association where they've learned that violence and love are essentially the same thing. And there's something really seductive about being with someone who they either want to fix or deprive all of their needs for as, you know, sort of like an addiction to deprivation in a sure. way. And I think that regardless of whatever type that person is, whether they've ever been with an abuser or they have a history of being raised in an abusive home, the brain still develops this trauma bond. And that's why even though someone may not be codependent when they go into these relationships, they'll certainly fall into what I believe is like a codependent state where the relationship naturally becomes that way. That right, the, that's the role they're playing. That's in the it. role even, they're playing. Even in that's it. not a real pattern. That's right. Them. Yeah. And, and that's because what happens is the nervous system over the abuse becomes so hyperactivated over time that it doesn't know how to feel good when it's calm. I'm oversimplifying this. No, I know. It doesn't know how to feel good when it's calm and it can only feel excitement and, you know, seduction and quote unquote love and all of that when it's hyperactivated to such a degree that that person's actually experiencing a level of deprivation, risk or fear. Mm -hmm. And that is something chemically then over time, the brain starts to develop dopamine around that. And so when someone starts to step away from that, they literally go through withdrawals and they've compared it to like coming off of heroin. Yeah. It's exactly what we hear in, in rehab. Yeah. And the way that that works is what I think what makes it so painful is really what it's saying is the only person who can remove the pain is the person who caused it. And that is such a horrible trap to be in. Oh my God. Yeah. And then the other piece I just want to add to that is the chance of someone getting killed significantly increases when they leave an abusive relationship. It goes up by about 75% within the first 18 months someone leaves that relationship. So telling someone to leave an abusive relationship when you do not understand the circumstances could actually cause them their life more so than staying in it. And I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship. What I'm saying is that person needs to talk to someone build a safety plan and slowly remove themselves step by step. But something really immediate can actually be very dangerous. 
Yeah, it's definitely a safety risk. I mean, in our in our business, that's a that's an ethical standard. In other words, as a therapist and someone's dealing with that in in the room with either one of us, it is our ethical standard to develop that safety plan and that escape route if that is if escape is what is deemed appropriate at that moment in time. Right. A lot of times it's more planning around yeah. what needs to actually what that person needs to do before they before they enact any kind of quote unquote action. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a thing. In other words, we can be, we can be accused of things if we don't do those sorts right. of, uh, behaviors. It's just like when someone talks about suicide, we have to develop a safety plan, call the crisis team, blah, blah, blah. We have to assess all of that kind of stuff ethically. Right. Or we're in trouble. Yep. So, yeah. It's a, it's tricky. It's tricky. I also enjoyed this documentary as a documentary. In mm -hmm. other words, I enjoyed the interviews. I enjoyed that they had Sally there. We got to know her a little bit. I know that it was skewed towards her. It was her documentary. So I know there were things left out. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, whatever. We're not a court of law. I just enjoyed the documentary learning about the different things. Sure. Uh, if they had had a psychological person or component in that like ourselves that would have made it even more interesting because this kind of context could have been talked about live in the documentary I think that would have added something but other than that I thought it was great so I appreciate uh, I think you had brought it to my attention I think so yeah we had seen it on there and I think I said I had already started watching it and I liked it so we decided to do an episode I jumped on you did. I did. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk my name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe everyone